Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Well, Richard, it's always a pleasure to sit across from you and talk. I'm sure it is, Sam, <laughs> live from Blackaby Studios. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's it's always uh, fun to sit down and do these things. And, yeah, we're um, not quite yet Warner Brothers, uh, but uh, we're on the way. Well, yeah, yeah, we're nipping at the heels. Maybe I'll do, I'll do a, like animated feature next, I think. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, maybe you could do some uh, hand <laughs> sketches. And, yeah. <laughs> well, the, if, if, uh, if your, your pun... Um, oh yeah, puns. Rampage is any. My daughter to go on. tells me they're the lowest form of humor. But if well, any of you follow me on Facebook I don't or think, Twitter, <laughs> I don't think she's wrong. Let's put it that way. It's a it's a required it's a acquired taste. Acquired, yeah, and yeah. puns. But mm-hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm sure it is. If you if you follow me on social media, I've been putting so uh, a daily pun out lately, and uh, and I've gotten some great responses and quite a few groans. Yeah, yeah I'm not quite sure. Probably where that's more groans from. than great responses. <laughs> Well, Richard, it's it's been a minute since we've done a book review. It has. Um, probably closer to two months, actually. Yeah. Uh, we try and <laughs> An do this extended minute. Yeah, yes. yeah. Extra innings. Uh, it, it's uh, we try and do this about once a month. Mm-hmm. We do a leadership book review. Yeah, because I have and, a lot of people always asking me about what leadership books do I read and what do I recommend, yeah. and this is just a chance, uh, in in a broader way, to just share some of the books that I. I'd encourage you to read if you want to study up on leadership. Yeah, and we've had a lot of great responses to these mm-hmm. uh, to these episodes, and we've we've sort of started with the classics way back, and we've been inching our way up <laughs> into the 21st century. <laughs> into the 21st century, I think we've just scraped into the 21st century with this one, um, and it is the uh, five dysfunctions of a team. So why don't you tell us why we picked this book today? Well, uh, Patrick Lencioni has written a series of books, and uh, this one is will highlight the five dysfunctions of a team, but uh, he's written several others, um, and he has a unique style in that he writes a leadership fable. Uh, the, yeah. It's a... Uh, it's a fictional account that has all kinds of very real uh, parts to it that sound very much like what really does happen in, in real organizations and uh, leadership teams. And so the first part is a very interesting fable, he calls it. Uh, but as you watch a leader trying to address real real issues, um, he, he teaches us along the way about how to do it. And I I, and I, I like his approach. If you if you haven't read some of his stuff, I think you, some people just want just give me the straight goods. Um, yeah, and do A, end, B, and C. At and... the end of the book, he kind of will do a bit of that in yeah. review. But um, but I, I I like his style because you know some people it's a fictional book. You, it's the truths are kind of lost deeply embedded somewhere in the story. But yeah. here it's very obvious. It's a it's a new CEO that's come in or different situations and. Uh, and they've got they're inheriting a, a very dysfunctional leadership team or organization, and and then he just sort of tells how the person goes about uh, changing it, making it better. Yeah, uh, and I I really love that. This is actually the the first Lincioni book that I've read, hmm. um, and and that that really stood out to me. That, that it keeps your un- attention, doesn't it? Yeah, it's unlike any other leadership book, but. But it also makes it more memorable, which is what I love about stories. And we've talked yeah. about this before. Yeah. It's how stories have a way of impacting us that just the, the statistics and the data 
just doesn't. Yeah. And so I really appreciated that. And I, I what I find with this approach too is that, you know, sometimes a leader can say, well, our writer can say, well, a good leader, when you're trying to turn an organization around, will do these six things. And number one, number two, and they all may be true, but, but a story actually shows you what it would look like if you were doing it. And yeah. it shows you the pushback and the opposition and the people that ultimately you have to fire, the, the people that come on board. And, you know, and, and so he, he makes it complex. He makes it real to life where it's not just real easy. And even the leader them, themselves at times will second guess themselves or they'll realize, oh, I shouldn't have probably said that. Or I, you know, I shouldn't have been so strong there. And you real and, and so it's tried to it's portrayed as a very real life kind of situation, and you you see someone who's actually trying to apply these principles with real people, and and it's never as clean cut as just you know here's six things that you do. Uh, yeah. I might just say I I, I don't have all of his uh, books. I've heard uh, uh, Lencioni speak in in person a couple of times, and uh, and he's written a number of other books. The books I've got. Of his also uh, is one called The Four Obsessions of an Extraordinary Executive. Uh, he's got one called Getting Naked. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> or you think it's uh, too risque. It's, um, it's about uh, shedding the three fears that sabotage client loyalty. And so just this one in particular, just saying so many times when working with clients, we're so afraid that if, if we're really honest with them and, and, and straightforward that we could lose them as a customer and that kind of thing and showing the power of just being upfront and honest and with integrity and so on. Um, and then there's also one, I love this other title too. It's, it's, I think it's maybe the first one I read called Death by Meeting. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I love uh, that. Just if anyone, and there's a great, if you haven't, there's a great picture of a guy sitting at the end of the table with his head on his, on the table. Just, <laughs> and you look, I think everyone can identify with having been in meetings like that one. Yeah. And I think if anyone who's been listening to the podcast long knows that, uh, <laughs> that, that a, Richard could wear that as a mantra over his door, uh, Death oh, by Meeting. Oh boy. I tell you, there's, so, and, and some of those truths actually show up in this book we just wanted to highlight for a few minutes. It's uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And, of course, teamwork is so critical to successful, healthy organizations. And it's, a, it's an art as well as a science. Uh, you, you wonder sometimes, why is it that you can have some uh, leadership team sitting around a boardroom table and they are just firing out uh, great creative ideas and they're solving problems and they're all excited and animated and they're eager to get to the work and uh, they're they're just bringing out all the creative juices of each other and then you've got other teams that are there's infighting there's there's silos uh, there's hurt feelings uh, I've heard of lots of uh, of team meetings that where people are are storming out of the, the room slamming the door it, sometimes even with Christian organizations church me- Certainly meetings. not church meetings, though. <laughs> uh, people saying hurtful things, people very defensive. If you even begin to comment about their particular area, um, meetings that you walk away from after ha- having a mind-numbing hour or two in the room, and you're not sure that you accomplished anything. Yeah, meetings and, that should have been an email. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, or or a stand-up meeting and before at the beginning of the day, but. Um, and so uh, this this particular book is addressing particularly how do you 
what do you do with teams to make them dynamic and creative and unified and uh, cohesive and, and loyal? Uh, and so the fictional story is about a woman named Catherine. She's uh, she's been a CEO before various uh, industries, but she comes to this tech company that is in some a great disarray. They have lots of money. They've got some great backing of uh, investment capital. They've got some really creative people in the on the team, but they're underperforming and they're losing morale and. Uh, they're like I think they're down to number three or so in their industry, even though on paper they should really be number one. And so I think a lot of leaders have dealt with that. If you've ever been hired to to lead, maybe you're a senior pastor and you come in and you've got some church staff, or you come into a business, you're made the manager at whatever level, and now you've got people that answer to you, and you may have inherited a team from a leader who was not very uh, gifted at leading. And so the question is, where do you, do you where do you even begin? How do you transform? You, you're you're not going to suddenly have a, a great team by giving an impassioned speech your first day of work. Uh, of course, everybody's going to be checking you out and and wondering, you know, what um, where you come from and how seriously to take you and uh, what what's the drum you're going to beat that they have to kind of learn how to dance to. Um, it just kind of set up this particular book. There's several key people. There's Jeff, who who actually was the founder of the company, was the former CEO, brilliant person in many ways, but uh, just not a good leader. Uh, you know, he hired a lot of high-powered stallions, uh, but he didn't know how to mold them into a team. Yeah. Sometimes we think we'll just hire the best people available, but even if you've ever played on a sports team, sometimes you get a bunch of superstars. Uh, and that's not a team. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily make a winning team. No, just a bunch of people all trying to get on the highlight reel uh, with their own personal performance and their own statistics. And so Jeff has sort of done that, and finally the board steps in and asks him not to be the CEO, which is, so that's kind of complicated. You, When Catherine comes in, you have the, fa- the founder of the company, the former CEO on the executive team, and he's been demoted. And so that's mm. one of the people she has to work with. Uh, Mikey is in charge of marketing. Brilliant, again, person. But uh, they're, they're, the sales are way down. And she is uh, has a reputation of being really good at what she does. But she will complain, well, it's the products or it's, it's other parts of the business. How can I market things that don't exist? Uh, if, uh, and so on. Martin is uh, the chief technologist. He's the the engineer type, the guy that's maybe not the most personable, just down to business, uh, and you know doesn't understand you all this warm, feely, uh, you know, fuzzy stuff. Uh, just tell me what needs to get done. Yeah. Uh, Jr. is in charge of sales, and sales are in bad shape. But he's a high-powered guy with lots of uh, charisma and people sort of person. Uh, and so, again, you, you look at all the different performers on the team and you think this should be knocking it out of the park every week with the yeah. kind of horsepower we've got here. Carlos is in charge of customer support. He's one of those kind of good old guys that is uh, just always willing to pitch in and help out. Um, and then you've got uh, Jan, who's the chief financial officer, the number cruncher, and of course you you always have one of those in most organizations. And 
they're worried about the bottom line and uh, legal ramifications and liabilities and cost overruns and uh, budgeting and uh, cash flow. And, and so you're trying to turn things around. You're trying to get more uh, uh, cust- customer uh, awareness and so on. And yet uh, you always have someone at the table. Well, what's that going to cost us? Um, and then lastly, Nick is the chief operating officer. He's another person that's supposed to be giving some overall direction uh, to the organization, but uh, doesn't have very much to do right now. Uh, and so he's this high-powered guy trying to justify his job. And of course, that's the essence of a of a bureaucracy is when you've got people trying to justify their jobs. Yeah. Instead of just results justifying their job, that that ought to be the, the great justifier is yeah. that you're getting results. But oftentimes you'll find a bureaucracy, <clears throat> an organization that's not actually producing very much, but everybody wants to, to let everyone else know how busy they are and how swamped they are with all the, their full schedules and activities and, and emails to answer. And so Nick is someone who's trying to justify his position. And again, the way this book is written, all these people are talented. They all know what they're doing. And yet, as a team, they're not performing well. And so Catherine comes in and has to try to turn things around. And she'll ultimately uh, explain uh, to the the team that there's what she calls five dysfunctions to a team. Yeah. And uh, five things that cause teams to be dysfunctional. Um, and uh, and the first one, she says, or the Lencioni says through Catherine, is absence of trust. You've got a bunch of people sitting around the table, but they don't trust each other. And so the first thing she'll have to do is try to help people just even get to know each other. A lot of times we we make assumptions about people. Uh, if someone is maybe not great with people skills, we just uh, label them and we want to steer clear of them. They, they, they can tend to say rude things or off-color things uh, or... Some people just don't share much about themselves. Maybe they've been hurt in previous companies. Uh, they were vulnerable before, and it was used against them, and so now they're protecting themselves. So you, you, nobody wants to admit that maybe they're not getting the results that um, uh, that everybody expects them to get. So you, you don't you, you cover up for yourself. You put on the best light. You don't want to be honest. And so if you've got a, a table full of people like that, all just wanting to make sure that they don't look like the weak performer, the weak link in the chain, then uh, it's really hard to ever build a cohesive team. And that's, of course, why a lot of there's a lot of team building exercises. Yeah. Uh, Catherine's going to do some of these offsites where she takes her team for two days and uh, just begins to help them break down some things. And uh, in, in of course, it's fictional, but it's interesting. Alenciona uh, develops this and. She's uh, Catherine is looking to to cause conflict. Um, yeah. That's one of the things that I thought was really interesting. Uh, she'll say um, one of the first things she notices is that there isn't any conflict, at least not not easily discerned at first, uh, because uh, people are just playing it safe. They're not branching out. They're not saying what they're thinking necessarily. They know that if they criticize or appear to criticize someone else, then it could come back their way. Yeah. So everybody is just kind of putting in their time at the meeting. And so Catherine actually says, you know, if you, if you're not, if you don't have anybody arguing their point, uh, then you actually have an unhealthy team. 
if everybody just is agreeing or just rubber stamping, then you're not getting the best thinking out of your people. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and obviously not a lot of buy-in. If, if they don't challenge anything, it's because they don't care. Uh, and they, they just want to hurry up and get the meeting over with instead of being engaged in the topic and, and fully engaged in trying to find the best answers and not, not being willing to let someone slough off with a half-hearted answer and, and saying, no, we, you know, that's, the, that's not acceptable. Uh, so a lot of us are trying to avoid conflict in meetings. She goes in and tries to stir it up a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the way she's portrayed it, she's a nice enough person, and she bites her tongue a number of times. She's very intentional about what she does. She's, she's very much in charge of the meetings, uh, even though she asks questions and lets people speak out. She, she knows where she wants the meetings to go, which is very important. Yeah. She has a purpose for them. So uh, it's interesting, too. She says... Uh, uh, at one point, every staff meeting, there will be uh, there'll be loads of conflict, and if there's nothing worth uh, debating, then we uh, are, are we're not having a, a real meeting. Uh, she thinks it, the only reason we meet is so we can debate and argue and discuss and challenge uh, to try to find the best answer. Uh, the also great quote was, uh, "If everything is important, then nothing is." Yeah. And so she, when you have a meeting, <clears throat> you know, the reading of the minutes from last meeting is probably not the most crucial thing. Uh, <clears throat> but oftentimes we'll waste all kinds of time in parts of the meeting that aren't that important. Yeah. And then we don't have time to ever dig in and put our emotions into the parts of the meeting that are important. So uh, that's a, that's a, also, I thought a really great point. Yeah, I think having a, a clear vision of, of the purpose of a meeting, um, I think that really s- seemed to shine through in, in, in the book and, and also ring true for for most people that, that if you know, everyone's been in a time-wasting kind of meeting. And, yeah. And typically it's because there's no, there isn't a really clear purpose or result that we're looking for in a meeting. It's just sort of like, well, this is the team meeting time. Yeah, it's on the schedule. Here, we and, meet every month at this time. Yeah. Uh, she said something else that I thought was interesting. Uh, I keep saying she because Catherine is the the main character in the right. book. But, but it's not she only. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but they also say consensus is horrible. Uh, it becomes an attempt to please everyone. Hmm. Uh, well, we just want to come to consensus. And uh, in the in the book, She'll say, no, I don't, if I present something and everyone says, you know, hey, is everybody okay with that? Uh, if they all say, sure, you ought to be concerned about that. If no one asks any hard questions. No one pushes back and considers other alternatives, other approaches, uh, wants some, uh, you know, some rationale for why we would do this. Um, then it's, you've got a, a team that just wants to get out of there. You don't have a team that's actually working together. Uh, it's it, healthy debate, vigorous debate. It, you you know you're a healthy team when you can push and argue and and uh, debate a, a point, and then w- when the meeting's over, you go away as friends. And, yeah. You know. I, well, you know, I, I like that because it it really focuses on debating the issues and not uh, the people. You know, yeah. I think that's a pretty clear distinction that you you're you're wrestling with these ideas, these directions that that different people think that. Uh, organization should go. We're not, 
we're not debating like I like or dislike this person or yeah. that person's dumb or or whatever. It's 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 wrestling with the ideas that are brought forth. And unfortunately, that's a lot of times we have our own insecurities, and yeah. so if someone disagrees with my idea, they are belittling me, or I right. feel belittled. Well, and, certainly, I think in today's yeah. society that that there is a certain amount of. Uh, identity wrapped up in in your ideas so yeah. if, if someone says that that's not a good idea then it's then it's sort of internalized as yeah. like they, don't, I, they I, don't think i'm a good idea <laughs> yeah and uh, i don't know you know the younger generation that is becoming so fearful of and and feeling that there's a, a micro aggression against them if someone says something that they don't agree with or has a different yeah. perspective I'm not sure how it's probably going to be more challenging in the days to come to have a meeting uh, where you put ideas out there. The the universities today, you've got all kinds of college students who don't even want there to be a lecture going on anywhere on the university campus where ideas are being presented that they don't agree with. Yeah. Um, if they're a very liberal leaning student and there's a right wing uh, lecturer at the lecture hall over in the northeast corner of the campus, and they need to have a safe place to go because they feel threatened uh, that there's ideas being shared that that, that they find offensive. Uh, if if that's the kind of graduates that are graduating from our universities and going into business school and into into organizations, uh, I, it's going to become even more challenging yeah. to forge a team where you still feel the freedom to push people. Uh, and in fact, the second. Uh, the second dysfunction of a team, they say, is uh, fear of conflict. And they go on. To, he goes on to say, teams that lack trust are incapable of engaging in unfiltered and passionate debate of ideas. Instead, they resort to veiled discussions and guarded comments. Uh, we're all afraid of putting off a time bomb. <clears throat> and some people have certainly worked with people like that that just they, maybe they had anger issues or they were very sensitive, very thin-skinned. And you, you know that some things could be better, but nobody has the courage to raise the question because we don't want to set that person off. Or last time that we questioned what this person was doing, they stormed out of the room with a tirade. And so let's just let's leave that alone. <clears throat> and, we, and part of the problem is we think, well, that's their area anyway. You know, I, I just need to be concerned with my area. And uh, in this book... They go on to say, but we're a team, and if if any one of us is not doing our area well, it it is everyone else's business. It mm, does yeah. affect them. You you can't just say, well, because marketing is just they're doing a horrible job, but over in production we're we're doing a great job. So let's just focus on high quality products. Well, you'll go broke if it doesn't matter how good your product is if if it's not being marketed well. Yeah. So you do have a vested interest in how everyone else is doing their job and. That means you've got to not fear conflict if you if it means you need to ask some hard questions and you you know you're in a healthy organization when people can challenge uh, people all around the table and question respectfully but yeah but but challenge and say but what, what why is that uh, not done yet and why have you not gotten that finished and or met this deadline and uh, asking some hard questions sometimes uh, it takes a healthy team to do that. If you're yeah. not healthy, there, every organization I've been around, you can. The, most organizations have issues that just don't get addressed. No one ever wants to talk about it, right? And and so it holds organizations back month after month because we just don't want conflict. We we value peace and tranquility, yeah. 
more than being effective. Right. Uh, well, let's let's take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll look at the other three dysfunctions. Bob Royal and Richard Blackaby recently wrote a book called Spiritual Leadership Coaching. It integrates the life-changing biblical insights from experiencing God with training in 12 essential coaching skills that will enhance your ability to have transformational conversations. Use the promo code PODCAST at checkout to receive an additional 10% off the book at blackabystore.org. All right, Richard, so we saw the first two dysfunctions of a team. Uh, what's what's the third dysfunction that, that Lynchy only lays out? He says uh, it's lack of commitment. And he goes on to say, without having aired their opinions in the course of passionate and open debate, team members rarely, if ever, buy in and commit uh, to decisions, though they may feign agreement during meetings. So they don't think they've been heard. Uh, if they haven't, if, if, if uh, you've not really wrestled with an issue, you don't have ownership of it then you're not going to be committed to it. You're just going to go back to your silo and just kind of keep doing your job and just uh, leave everyone else's work to them. And you're not a team. You're just a bunch of separate people all doing your own thing yeah. and uh, just trying to do your job well. And uh, But a team cares about what the whole team is doing. And 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 they when they feel like they've uh, had their say and they've had input, then... Uh, then they're committed now. Now they, they want the team to succeed. And you can always tell, you know, the difference between a team full of superstar individuals and then a team that's playing for one another. And there's, of course, some great storylines of teams that person by person, they, they didn't have the most talented team, but they were the strongest team as, as a team. And yeah. teams often will will beat a group of uh, star, star individuals. Yeah. So. And then the fourth one is avoidance of accountability. And it says, he says, without committing to a clear plan of action, even the most focused and driven people often hesitate to call their peers on actions and behaviors that seem counterproductive to the good of the team. And uh, I'll tell you what, that is a high level of teamwork where the other team members hold people accountable. And so when people said that they would have a, a report or a product ready by this time and it's not ready, Instead of uh, just kind of looking the other way or this awkward silence, someone s- speaks up and says, well, what are we going to do? You say, Why did you not get this done? You, you knew the deadline. You knew when this had to be ready. Um, following up and, and when people know ahead of time, but when I get to that meeting, I'm going to be, they're going to ask me, is this done? Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of churches will do that. A lot, a lot of committees think if we just talk about things, and then we all just go our separate ways till the next meeting that somehow magically by talking about things, things will get done. But that's why yeah. when you have a meeting, you always need to say, before you leave the meeting, say, now, who's responsible for this? What what will they have done? When will they have it done? Uh, and uh, and let's make sure that before we leave, everyone knows what they're accountable for. And I've, I've been even in one-on-one meetings with people who say, okay, before we leave, here are the things that I'm going to provide for you or this is what I'm yeah. I'm going to do, and it's amazing the difference. Yeah, that that, that is. When... Take just five minutes and say, let me make sure that we're clear on what you're going to be doing, what I'm going to be doing, yeah. when we're going to do it. That five minute. A lot of times you can have these really warm discussions with lots of good intentions, and you just think because we just felt so good and we were so open and both just really sincere that, boy, that's that was a great meeting. But you walk away and there's there's nothing to be held accountable to. Yeah, uh, and so the 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 best meetings always you walk away knowing who's accountable for what, and then you've got a, a team that has the courage to hold people accountable, 
and to say it's just not acceptable. I, I think we probably all work with people that just regularly don't get done what they were supposed to get done. Yeah. And so now a whole organization is held hostage because someone is disorganized and they can complain about, well, I was just swamped. I, I, you know, I had an aunt that had to go to her funeral this past month or this or that, or I had a cold. And if you tolerate uh, people not getting the job done, uh, if you don't hold people accountable, then you create a culture where that's okay. Any yeah. excuse will do. And yeah. of course you want to have some grace, but uh, at the same time, you want to be held accountable and to say if week after week, month after month, there's just a steady stream of excuses why you didn't get your job done, you don't have a healthy team. And yeah. if the boss has to always be the one who's holding people accountable, that's you also are not a healthy team. Yeah. A healthy team, everybody around the table starts jumping in and says, hey, wait a minute here. We all agreed last month that, that you would do that. Uh, and when the team starts holding other members accountable, now you know that you're getting to a, a, a culture of accountability and uh, and then effectiveness. And the last one is uh, inattention to results. And, and uh, he says it occurs when team members put their individual needs, such as ego, career development, or recognition, or even the needs of their divisions above the collective goals of the team. And, uh, and again, uh, at the end of the day, it's all about results. Organizations exist for results, to produce some kind of result. And a lot of times people can just be so focused on their little area or their individual career and their success and what they're doing that everybody does. we somehow just keep making excuses uh, for week after week where the results aren't happening. And certainly in churches, that happens. Uh, I've been, I've led church council meetings Everybody gives their report, everybody was busy, everyone met, but the fact is the church isn't growing or the church is declining or we haven't reached anybody in our neighborhood. But we, we had lots of meetings, we're really busy, we're swamped, but the, the, whatever the result is you're trying to get is not being achieved. Yeah. And, you know, Today, 70% of churches are plateaued or declining. And yet there's all kinds of meetings taking place. Yeah. And those churches continue to be plateaued or declining and to say, well, wait a minute here. That that would suggest to me that there's a bunch of church councils, deacons or elders boards that are meeting, but they're not they're not an effective team because the, the results aren't changing. Everyone's just trying to be polite and not get any make anyone put on the spot or feel embarrassed, but uh, the results aren't there. And so ultimately when you're a healthy team, you can also get productive results. And uh, so I, it's a great book. I think if you are someone that leads a team of any kind, uh, it's a great read uh, just Definitely. to see how to to take, and, and, and you may not have a, a team as dysfunctional as this. Hopefully you don't. But uh, I think all of us just reg, I, th- I think once a year at least, every leader that leads a team ought to read a book like this by Lencioni or someone else and just and reflect on how your team works. What are your meetings like? In fact, he says an interesting thing at one point in the book. He says, what would you rather do, go to a meeting or go to a movie? And, of course, everyone's like, <laughs> I don't even care what the movie yeah. is. I'd rather go to that. And and when he breaks it down, he says, well, it's because there's drama in in a movie. And people find meetings boring. But Lencioni says, well, meetings ought to have drama. They ought to have conflict. There ought yeah. to be some some conflict resolution that takes place in the meeting. It, it ought to be exciting. There ought to be high stakes in, in meetings and people ought to be engaged. And in a sense, there ought to be some drama and excitement uh, and certainly some fulfillment 
after you've been to a meeting and you see all that was accomplished. And so for our listeners this week, even if you're having a family meeting with your kids, uh, talking about what we're going to do for our vacation this summer, uh, whether you're in a church council meeting, whether you're leading an executive team in your business, most a, a lot of bad habits can creep in. And so you may have had a really dynamic team a while ago, but one bad apple can start to sour things. Uh, this uh, CEO has to ultimately, uh, well, lets two people go. It's sort of a, it's kind of a mystery because you figure someone at least is going to get fired before yeah. this is out. Some of the, the chief protagonists, you think, well, you know, you, sometimes you get surprised. Um, and, and some, the, the, the CEO realizes, well, they're very talented, but I can work with this. I can shape this. And then there's certain things that just you, you can't tolerate if you're going to ever have a healthy team. And that's one of the things a lot of leaders agonize over is, well, do I fire this person or how many chances should I give them? Yeah. And uh, I, I was even just talking with a pastor not long ago that was agonizing over having to let a team member go. But everything that uh, he told me about the team member and the, the negative result on the team indicated you you had no other choice. It was yeah. every week you left this person in place was costing everyone else on the team. So lots of issues to do with building a healthy team and certainly one that any leader needs to be constantly giving some thought to so that your team is, uh, is productive and uh, unified and getting the job done. Well, Richard, thank you so much for enlightening us once again on uh, another great leadership book. And uh, I I really enjoyed this one. And uh, speaking of leadership books, what do we have coming up for our next book review? I thought we'd go back. It's kind of a bit of a classic again, a little bit older one, but one I think that's become a standard is by Richard Swenson called uh, Margin. And uh, I think uh, certainly in our day, it's still a very relevant uh, message. And so... We'll have that in the show notes, but yeah. uh, if you haven't read that book, it's uh, it's been out for a little while, but I think still pretty well standard on how to put margin in your life so you're not maxed out all the time. Yeah, something we can all use a little Yeah, more. I need to review that uh, regularly. <laughs> Me too. Well, great, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.